word. A taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning. Welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR. My name is Tina Janukas. 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which 3CR broadcasts and pay my respects to elders past, present and future. In today's episode of this two-part show, I'm talking with editor and writer Pauline Hopkins about the Spinifex Press anthology that she has put together and edited called It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry. We'll also be hearing from poets Patricia Sykes, Angela Costi and Mary May Campbell. The anthology also includes some wonderful poems from Georgia Orbiston, who sadly passed away in 2022. Pauline, as I read through the anthology that you've edited, It's All Connected and published by Spinifex Press, I had the beautiful sense of being immersed in a world where women's bodies and realities were given a reality without reference to patriarchal endorsement. Did you deliberately set out to choose stories and poems that privileged women's experiences, not merely stories or poems that carried a woman's name? Well, that's a little bit of a tricky one. Yes, I think instinctually the stories and poems that got submitted tended to be of that nature. I think the authors and contributors to this anthology know spin effects well. So the stories in this collection, yes, privilege a woman's voice and experience, but that didn't need so much deliberation on my part. That came from the authors who submitted and who were chosen. It's the different experiences together as an anthology that makes it what it is. So their experiences, some that I can relate to, some that are quite different from what anything I've known, some I'm learning from, some I'm listening, some I'm sharing, but they're all aspects of a feminist experience. Patricia, your poem, Elaine, which is a tribute to your sister Elaine on her 80th birthday, is part of the Spinifex anthology. Would you like to read the poem? Sure. The title is just Elaine. And the inscription is Elaine, sunray shining light, French variant of Helen. You and I, how we fell into life like spiderlings on silk threads. One breeze too many or too less, and we'd have ended who knows where as a shimmering accident. Between them, Big Bang and God might claim the universe, but didn't we know as we climbed and spun exactly where a third power lived? In our hours of play, didn't we know we inhabited a world where children live amazed at the ignorance of adults? You and I and the lives we shed like tadpoles on the way to legs. Did we really lose these to maturity? And where are the happinesses we dreamed between hatchling and storm? In our flooded paddock, 
low-hanging branches were all we ever needed to swing above the deeps we mocked. So how did we arrive at Age's sober spot? Was it years of weathering that stripped the aura from innocence? You and I and the games we perfected, what now? Is true only true if you perform a thing right? We glow in the dark. We age further towards youth. Perhaps we rooted so earthly, so deep, so that now we can flower in a way that balances the grief and joy of things. I have the sense of the majesty of the years between you and uh, Elaine. My older sister and I are sometimes universes apart in terms of politics. I'm an environmentalist, I'm a feminist, but even though we have significant differences, what unites us is the life journey. Our mother died when I was nine and Elaine was ten. Our two young sisters were only one and two, so we became substitute mothers. Even though there's worlds of difference as far as politics, etc., perhaps worldview in some respects, but in the major respects of mutual support, love, um, through the years, whatever has come and gone, we've always, always been there for each other and always will be. And she's the only other person alive who remembers our mother. I certainly loved the opening line of the poem. Spiderlings on silk threads. It's just a a beautiful line and captures for me the sense of the fragility of coming into the world, losing a mother. As the poem unfolds, one gets a, a very deep sense of the relationship between yourself and your sister. It's emotional depth, uh, Mm. which I found very enriching reading that poem. Well, at the time that mum died, we were living at a little place called Motawari, which became the title of my second collection. Along the wires of the fences in the paddocks, when there was dew on the wires, you would see all these spiderlings. We used to see spiderlings ballooning uh, when they were born and you'd see them drifting in the air. It was a very strong connection, both with nature and an understanding of the journey of these fragile little things which were barely visible but taking off into the air on these threads and sailing until they found somewhere to begin their development. What does feminism mean to you, Patricia? Um, Oh, interesting question. I think it's about acknowledging women's power as not subsidiary but belonging to women. The problem with patriarchal history is its power over. It's not power with. 
And for me, feminism is an acknowledgement that women are self-determined, self-directing, willing to share power with. They don't want to reverse the situation and have power over, but to respect power as a shared responsibility and privilege. So for me, feminism is about an acknowledgement that women have the right to speak on their own behalf and to acknowledge other women's right to speak. And it's inclusive. It's not, for me, exclusive. What does it mean to you to be part of this particular anthology? Every time that I'm in an anthology, particularly a Spinoff Express one, I get to hear stories and experiences that haven't come my way. Because they're women's experiences, it broadens my sense of community because every anthology is a community in a way and an opportunity to meet new voices Pauline, one of the things that impresses me about the Spinifex anthology, It's All Connected, and which you've edited, is its internationalism. Are you seeing women's writing as cutting across the national to say something more collective about women's lives? Uh, indeed. I think that's the way we have always operated since I've been at Spinifex Press. At the same time as being a publisher of Australian Voices and particularly Indigenous voices and honouring the local sound of those voices in whatever format. At the same time, Spinifex Press has always published writers from Africa, from Asia, from Europe. So the collective voices is something that has always been a part of Spinifex Press. So that international flavour has been there from the start and I couldn't imagine actually this anthology without voices from other countries as well as from Australia. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back. I'm Tina Janukas and you're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. In today's second episode of this two-part show, I'm speaking with editor Pauline Hopkins about the Spinoff Express anthology she has put together and edited called It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry. We're also hearing from poets Patricia Sykes, Angela Costi and Marion May Campbell. Angela, you're known especially as a poet, but in this anthology you've submitted a short story after dinner set in COVID lockdown times, which I found intriguing for the way it memorialises our incessant strolls or walks around our neighbourhoods during COVID. Would you like to read the story? Sure, I'd love to. It actually was a poem before it became fiction. It's got two lives, if you like. In my most recent poetry collection, it is a poem and then it was extended. I felt like it needed another life as well. So sometimes I do that. It might be the one story, but it is in various forms. Something that um, Peter Murray told us when I was studying playwriting with her to challenge ourselves to write 
the same sort of theme or core or storyline in various genres. If I'm not wrong, you started out as a playwright or are you still writing plays? I started writing poetry that became poetic performance pieces. So you're absolutely right, Tina. It was there where I felt comfortable. That was my comfort zone. And my comfort zone is not necessarily the short fiction. So I'm very happy to read After Dinner. I stand at my assigned gutter and watch for the lone car. Will there be one like last night, driving like a fretful canoeist about to plunge down the rapids? Tonight, the road is empty. I yell, remember, 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 to the still air floating on this river of bitumen. The neighbours living across the divide hear me, come out of their locked lives, wave their hands towards the voice filling the emptiness. I wave back. It's too dark for them to see my smile. A few more heartbeats and I turn my back to retrace my steps. Down Gordon Street, across Lever Street, up Saunders Street, to number 46. My house known for its run-down fence, its greying, petosperin, punching the power lines. Even if I wanted to walk over the boundary road, I couldn't without the slap of fear. The curse flies with the wind, swims with the water, feeds from the same plate. It's got them, not us. The rules of lockdown divide us. There are others like me, middle-aged women, leaving unscraped dishes in the sink, soiled soccer kits on the floor, addled fathers to pee in their pants. I count at least seven of us. We're growing by the night, each of us wearing a silly animal, designs brave enough for sleep. Across my pyjama top, my lipstick poodle is cavorting with the night breeze, alive to the triggers of insomnia. There's a woman with purple and pink zebras, another with a penguin parading as Santa. We don't mingle. We keep to our regulated distances. One or two women give me a nod as if we're soldiers at the front line. These steadfast streets encircling my house, I dearly love with ambivalence, as a mother loves her children. Each house I pass offers its personality without discretion, spilling their emotions like passion fruit tendrils as I walk past their open doors, naked windows, unstable gates. Never before have I come to know the intimate details of bedroom habits. The scenes and poses, a movie will edit, beg a gasp or a sigh from each of us. And there are those houses overwhelmed by screen zooming or avatars wrestling reality, where the bedtime story is survival of the game's console. Shouts of rebellion and screams of anguish are no longer muffled during these months of reinventing the home. As we pass Valencio's house, our backs stiffen. Fuck! Bitch! Cunt! Stabbing blindly, accompanied with a smash, us hoping it's not bone. He starts up before curfew ends. His wife, Katarina, is not in my group of night walkers. There's still time for her to join us. I can make out her silhouette in the hallway, or is it the mop thrown into the coat rack? I'm always tempted to shout her name. Even though I've never met her, I know her well. I'm worried my calling will startle her fragile heart. I'm worried my calling will precipitate a conclusion she's not ready to live with. I wait a few minutes, hoping she will escape to the front veranda. But no, no. She hides in the deep folds of the house. We resume our pace, a little slower, a little unsteady, until we hear the song that makes our animals of thread jiggle, the way children instantly dance when they hear music they love. 
Our steps align with the rhythm of the bass and didgeridoo, with the outpouring of endurance and survival. Danny's fanfare, courtesy of Yothu Yindi, singing about the continuing curse of two rivers separated for too long. Danny's front yard is his home. The wood burner his stove, the eucalypts his fuel, the chairs and couches invitations to eat, sleep and watch these odd women with their walk to help them dream. Danny's large eyes invite one woman to step through his open gate and sit by the fire, watching it flare and subside along with the ups and downs of Danny's yarning. After Danny's house is where most of us branch off, I continue to go straight, followed by one. Without the need for talk, we stop at Anita's house. She's in her front room. The light's blazing with her intensity. She's holding a stick in one hand, a paint can in another. She's crouching, then standing, turning, then plunging, the quicker movements of a bird wishing to fly. Her canvas is always laid out like a rug, taking up most of her room. A few times we've been lucky enough to see her creations. She walks them to her porch, their sweat and tears exposed, thankful for the fanning of night's air. Sensing curfew has begun, I walk towards my house. No one behind me. All the women would have walked through their front gates by now. I walk through mine, open the fly screen and then the front door. There's no need for locks or keys. Inside, the lights are salt. The TV is protesting about the protesters, showing streams of people walking the night, young, angry, scared. Mama is sitting on the couch, her hand of veins and bones holding her beloved gold cross, kissing it furtively. I take her hand as any mother would take a child's and walk her to her bedroom. Her special black dress for church is laid out on the bed, waiting to be worn. I help her get dressed, find her good shoes and handbag, make sure the chain holding her cross is not a threat to her neck. I leave her sitting on the bed with assurances I'll return in a few minutes, hoping she will stay. I walk to the carport. The night is still teasing the wind. The back end of my car is covered with the toll of the year's seasons while the front wears the dust of disuse. There's only one corner that's kept clean. It's here that I find the matchbox with the finger-like matches to awaken the wicks of the hanging lamps. Their light animates the sombre faces of Christ and Mary, illuminates St George, St Baraskevi and all the others, stabbing a snake, levitating, communing with angels... Long ago, I expected a voice to emerge from this crowded corner of icons. Now I know their offering is silence. Walking back into the house into Mama's bedroom, I find her standing, wide-eyed and still, ready to be summoned. She follows me to that holy corner of the carport, facing east. Without fear or hesitation, Mama kisses each icon then sinks to the rug, turning her chest into a map of the cross with her right hand. Humble murmurings of gratitude rise and fall as she recounts the names of the living, beginning with her youngest grandchild, then her children, her siblings, her nephews and nieces, their children, her husband, and finally, herself. In this story, there's a consciousness that's uh, incredibly reflective. So I'm wondering um, what it is that uh, was going on when you chose to write this story. I suppose I was noticing that during that time there were some interesting things happening that wouldn't have been happening otherwise and that was that women were walking alone at night, not necessarily as embellished as that but certainly walking alone in, of all places, at Coburg, that's where I live and the previous year there were some random attacks 
of some, um, including a 50-something woman walking on her own. Um, I found that really interesting and I wanted to explore what that looked like on the page, this collective. There was also people wearing pyjamas during the day. So I wanted to write something that celebrated that and honoured women. What does it mean to you to be part of this anthology? Very similar to the story, I suppose, that sense of connection. I love that there are just these various diverse voices and that I'm part of that. It's a community, but also a sense of family. It's a feminist collection of fiction and poetry. I'm wondering what feminism might mean to you. I look at it on a very concrete level. How do I live it? What does it mean to me? Um, means that I work with women. When I work with women, we're equals that we respect each other and that I expect that as well within the system. And if I don't experience that, what can I do about it? It's normally um, through my writing. There is that real interplay of advocacy, the poet and the advocate interconnect in my writing. Marian, you've also got a poem in the anthology, It's All Connected. It's got an intriguing title, Now He Dreams the Siren Silent. Would you like to read the poem and also tell us about the poem and the title itself? Really, the poem was a result of reading Walter Benjamin, the, the German essayist, philosopher, cultural theorist. One of his essays about Kafka involves the statement by Max Brot, who is his literary executor, who refused to burn everything, that Kafka actually hated orchestral music. He found it terrifying. He did write a piece about the silence of the sirens, but Benjamin wonders in this essay whether it was partly because of this terror of drowning in orchestral music. But I also thought about the elimination of the feminine in Kafka's world, the on-off engagement with the, the woman who was initialed as F, the fact that the body of the name even disappears there. I guess the, the poem took me into that meditation about modernism and I've been in love with the, the poetry of Mallarmé, but Mallarmé makes the world disappear. The world is made to end in a book, he also said. And I was thinking about the vibratory disappearance of things as actually connected to the destruction of the most diverse environments in the world. But also, I'm in a little group and we meet online in Zoom and we do a little poetry exercise where we all come with phrases. And my phrase that particular time was, now he dreams the siren silent, or something like that. And then I found myself working on that with the result that this poem emerged. It would be lovely to hear the poem. Now he dreams the silence, siren silent, after Benjamin, after Kafka. Now he dreams the siren silent within the roar of his blood, within the trough the winds carve for his boat, mast tied, beeswax plugged. He keeps no company, his fiancée's letters all dissolved right to the remnant F. He knows the oceanic terror of music, that ineluctable drowning he must forego seduction, forego the crew, to be plunged into untold silence. And so the sirens swing him by, their nipples scorching suns, their claws excoriating the cliff's blue limestone, their throats open beyond all earthly operatics. 
carrier key, he'd written F, when she still clung to the initial. And one day, beyond the window-blind city, there will be a door open for you. The sirens now sign in his dream, only in the radiance of seascape's elimination. Only in her evanescence will you lend her the right key. If we'd been singing when we saw you cruise by ecstatic, we would have mouthed sadly, nothing works anymore, baby. History has stuttered you between us cliffhangers and the tone-deaf sailors. There's no code, no key, now that you loom, bitter ghost, beyond all Penelope's. I love that closing line. I was thinking of Penelope with her loom, of course, and... uh, Yes, the persistence of these women, despite the attempt to make them into beautiful singing abstractions. What does it mean to you to be part of this anthology? It means a huge amount. Susan Hawthorne and Renata Klein have, over four decades, more than four decades now, been the enablers of feminist writing and all forms of artistic resistance, even when some works which are radical and very experimental seem to disappear into a black hole, they sustain this belief. They've had the faith and the courage of their convictions. And so uh, I was very honoured to be part of what is a collective undertaking and what feels much bigger than the individual kind of texts. And, of course, Susan Hawthorne and Renata Klein are the publishers at Spinifex Press. It's... uh A feminist collection of uh, fiction and poetry. What does feminism mean to you? What it means to me is a resistance against, um, I know it's an old-fashioned term, but it's still like colonialism, the space we have to live and move in and respond to and find our our modes of loving, our eroticism in, and it's a fight against patriarchal oppression. It's resisting those modes of silencing I mean, unfortunately, the word feminism doesn't actually signal an inclusion of all on the spectrum of of gender and and, uh, possible identifications. But I think it it generally is elastic enough to be inclusive. Pauline, what does it mean for you as editor to have been able to include Geordie Orbiston's poems in this anthology, given that Geordie Orbison passed away last year, leaving the Australian poetry landscape all the poorer for it. It means an enormous amount because having those poems in this collection means that they get to see the light of day and that she's included in this community of women's voices in the anthology. But I think they fit so well and it would be a much poorer anthology without it. Spinifex Press published her first collection of poems and I think her rightful place is in this anthology. So it's thrilling to be able to include them, especially the one that concludes the anthology Wimmera is one of my favourites. It's a devastating, beautiful, heartbreaking, wonderful poem. It will be lovely to hear that poem. I would love to read it for you, Wimmera. Where am I going until I am there against the Wimmera sky? This travel is ever, this travel is larger than you or I. They go by so fast, those scads of paddock, ubiquitous rust buckets, stuck in the wheat, but that's more or less death, I guess. Bitumen stretches, sweats on and on, 
And where am I going? And where have I gone? This travel always much more than me. The eucalypts passing say calm, calm. But even the rocks here come to harm. Words and flies hum through my head and something's tired, perhaps even dead. A black snake does, undoes itself somewhere. And then I hear it. One last breath. But that's just life, more or less. Yes, the collection would be all the more poorer without Geordie's wonderful poems in it. Thank you, Pauline, Patricia, Angela and Marion. In today's second episode of this two-part show, I've been talking to editor Pauline Hopkins on 3CR's Spoken Word program about the Spinifex Press anthology she has put together and edited called It's All Connected, Feminist, Fiction and Poetry. We also heard from poets Patricia Sykes, Angela Costi and Marion May Campbell, whose works are included in the anthology. And in last week's episode, we heard from poet Sandy Jeffs. Spoken Word broadcasts every Thursday at 9am on 855 on the AM dial or stream live at www.3cr.org.au or 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Or you can download the podcast of both episode 1 and 2 of this two-part show. The Spinifex Press Anthology, It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry, edited by Paul and Hopkins, is available from Spinifex Press, www.spinifexpress.com.au. Thank you for listening.